Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kerry Kermode. We hear from the young farmers talking about the Christmas tractor run. And I went along to the Curragh Wildlife Park in Balaf to find out the latest news from General Manager Kathleen Graham. But firstly, Kerry, um, before we get into things on this week's programme, uh, we've two bits of interest from uh, listeners which we'll chat about later in the programme and we'll do that up to the uh, coming countryside episodes up until Christmas because one or two people were asking you know we talk about various things to do with sheep ewes uh, yearlings things like that and we talked to like sort of David Broom cereal crop growers uh, Will McMillan and people about um, spring barleys and uh, winter wheats and things like that so we thought uh, we'll gather one or two of these bits and pieces together and uh, go through a bit and try and explain some to the listeners which would be nice it really will at the summer shows in particular the many questions we do get asked when we're displaying our sheep and cattle is absolutely fascinating and we do take it for granted that everybody knows the agricultural speak so touching on some of the interesting points is uh, certainly uh, something we can talk about certainly yes but you've uh, had a trip to a bit of education this week or last week certainly I did indeed I popped along over to Chorley where they were holding a CVAS course now the CVAS course is a countryside educational visits accreditation scheme and that entails opening up the farms or generally going into schools and talking about agriculture now I see this as being quite important with just farming in general to get across the points of what's happening on the farm to the general public but also is ran by a company called Leaf which is uh, linking the environment and farming and that is the way agriculture is going now getting a balance between the environment and farming and it was really really interesting to learn the different points of having risk assessments for people and children to come onto your farm but also going into schools and talking about everything to do with agriculture that fits in with the national curriculum it was a really great course and would highly recommend it um, to anybody that's in agriculture or just wanting to learn how to deliver a session to the wider public or school children to get involved and that's CVAS. It's ran by the Access to Farms Partnership which is a really, really great movement to get um, more people understanding where their food comes from, what farmers are doing on the farm, getting that connectivity back together again. There's been a little bit of disconnect in the recent years and uh, now it's really important that we get to the ground roots back to education and uh, talk about food and everything with it. Um, Recently at the Great Taste Awards in October there, I spoke to some of the people involved with basic farming and uh, we had a visit from a DEFA member and he was saying we have to go back to basics and it's all about education and that's from somebody quite high up in government. And it's interesting uh, some of the points that you brought up there about risk assessments and some some of the older generation farmers of course, oh not the paperwork side of it, the paperwork side of it, but I suppose educating people now and getting help to make it easier to do paperwork and setting up templates and things like that it is it's the way forward for some. oh absolutely this course was for the most basic of non-computing farmers or anybody involved with agriculture generally the help was readily available everything is laid out and they're wanting as many farmer people to get involved as they can to get the gates open on these farms to get the general public in to see what's going on no more uh, behind closed doors and uh, see where their food comes from and ask those awkward questions and get involved on the Isle of Man we've got a great food 
industry here, a great agricultural farm and landscape as well. It's just a stunning place to live and to just to, to get involved, no better way than getting out on the farms. Mm. And that will lead us nicely into the first of our questions, Kiri, uh, which uh, somebody was asking, why do we not need as much wool for clothing as people did years ago? Well, why is there not, you know, many much bales of wool and what have you uh, getting distributed or sold? Well, this is it. It was one of those really, really great uh, products. It was so sustainable year in, year out. The sheep need shearing. They grow the woolly jumpers for the winter, keep themselves warm. And then the farmer shears them when the weather gets hot, because obviously you don't want to be running around with a big woolly coat on. But that product then was taken and scoured and, and made into jumpers and different garments. But now since the oil based and the plastic has come into forefront. It's easier to make it out of plastic. A lot of hard work goes into transforming the wool from a, a basic product into a jumper and uh, it shifted away. But Great Britain was made on wool. The export of our wonderful wool out and uh, the money that it brought to our country was just phenomenal back in the day. But now with the shift and coming away from those uh, petrochemical plastics, who knows, wool might be making a real good comeback. Indeed. Thank you for that. We'll have more in the coming weeks and in the programme as well. But uh, I went along to the Curragh Wildlife Park in Balaf to speak to the general manager there, Kathleen Graham, to find out what the winter hours were for the opening of the park and when people could get there during the Christmas holidays. But firstly, I put it to her that uh, the park and the staff had had some quite sad news recently. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, we obviously care greatly for our animals and uh, the keepers put a lot of effort into it. So it's always particularly sad, I think, when you lose an animal just a bit before their time. I mean, we accept that nobody lives forever, none of our animals live forever, and some of them are uh, quite much shorter life than a human. But many of our residents reach a ripe old age, and Kush was, you know, still in his prime, so he wasn't. Uh, it wasn't really quite his time. So it was a little bit of a shock. But, you know, we have lots of animals who are very much alive and need our attention, and uh, so you can focus your mind on that and remember all the positives. But I guess that's the nature of our work is um, you don't get the uh, highs without having the lows as well. But, you know, focusing on Koosh on the happier side, um, do you remember when he came to the park? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, he came from the Highland Wildlife Park. I remember that. And uh, he was still quite young. And at that time, we had our previous male who passed away at the age of 16 and Frisco in the main panda enclosure and he moved into the small side panda enclosure because it was time for him to leave his parents and the stud bookkeeper didn't have anywhere else for him to go. So although we didn't really need another panda, so to speak, at that time, they had to go somewhere. And that is part of the stud book and the stud bookkeeper's job is really to manage the population within all the IASA zoos. So that's the European Association of Zoos and Aquaria. And that's where the breeding programmes are. So he needs to carefully manage the space. He needs to balance the genetics. And uh, yeah, I remember Kush coming. We hadn't specifically requested the panda, but the, the stud bookkeeper had reached out and said, does anybody have spare panda enclosures where they could take a spare panda? And we said, yes, we do. So uh, Kush came from the Highland Wildlife Park. Yeah, is it unusual that um, you were able to get another panda straight away after the other one? You know, because obviously they're, they're quite rare around the world. Yeah, I mean, there's about 500 or so pandas in the, the stud book. 
there will be there's also the America stud book and Southeast Asia. So zoos work globally uh, to manage these captive populations and they connect them to conservation work out in the field. But I know there's about 500 at the moment in the European uh, stud book. In the wild, in the Himalayas, you will find definitely less than 10,000 and sometimes numbers are estimated to could be as low as 2,500. So the red panda is an endangered animal and it's very important that we have these captive populations and it's important that we connect that to conservation work in the field. The Red Panda Network is uh, an organisation that we've donated to in the past and I pretty sure we'll be donating to again our conservation fund's been doing very well this year um, and we uh, donated to plant a home so they were planting uh, trees in Nepal connecting corridors uh, of panda habitat so that the genetic population can be a bit healthier in the wild because one of the interesting things is, is in zoos and wildlife parks sometimes our populations are actually healthier because they're genetically managed but what you have in the wild is where they're increasingly fragmented the they actually become become quite inbred out in the wild so these are things that if they're not inbred out in the wild then they, they can be more resilient so it's very important that these panda habitats are connected to allow as much genetic diversity and to increase populations in the wild so i would say it's not just about the animals that we have here in the park. It's about connecting that and allowing people to come to the park to give their donation to the Conservation Fund. Unless you opt out, you're charged it. So don't opt out. Don't say you don't want to pay it. Do pay it because it really is important work. And what it means is that we are really uh, making a difference and by coming to the park you can make a difference by being a volunteer you're making a difference so it's connecting not just these lovely animals that we love having and we, we like to see and we've got that uh, safety net population in captivity it's really important that we do something with the habitat out there there's no point in having these safety net populations if all the wild uh, habitat disappears so um yeah so kush has done his bit not just you know for for being quite famous as himself in in the isle of man but actually for helping raise awareness about red pandas in the wild uh, in the himalayas and he's done his bit for raising money for them and yeah so he will, it's going to be missed. Is it one of the, the difficult parts to, for, for younger people or are they better than adults in a way where if you talked about snakes or spiders that were endangered, when you get a nice cuddly panda or something like that that the, the kids are so used to as teddy bears and things like that, are they more likely to, to learn more about them than the sort of biggy buggy bugs? <laughs> um, one thing I've learned about people is is they have their different favourites. You know, I'm not really a great bug person and I'm not really a great snake person. I'm not very comfortable at handling snakes. I do if I have to, but I'm, I'm not, not great. But you see, some people are mesmerised and that's what attracts them. For some people, it is the cuddly mammals. And then you get your people who just love birds and everything about birds. So I think... There's something, there's an animal for everyone out there, whether it be a creepy crawly or a slimy thing or a cuddly uh, thing. But there's no doubt that 
brightly coloured animals are more attractive and animals that we see more often, you know, things like the meerkats, although they're not endangered, they're a great animal for uh, engaging people because they're always busy and we can kind of connect to them. And I think what happened with Kush, obviously his, his escape escapades were well documented <laughs> and that just caught people's imagination. And we often, suppose wrongly, put human feelings on them and, you know, he was imagined going out for a pint of milk and being told off by the missus and things like that. And that's good if it connects people, but we really need to use that and go, actually, there's a real issue here for red pandas out in the wild. Of course, we've still got four pandas at the moment so Kush was everybody always wanted to see Kush but we've got Sarah we've got Aria who is due to move as the breeding program and we've got our cubs Milish and Jinsar excuse me if my manx pronunciation is not that great so yeah we've still got our red pandas he still lives on through his daughters and Aria is being paired with a male at um, Birmingham Conservation Centre so she's due to go off there soon so uh, his line, if you like, goes on. Kathleen Graham, the general manager of the Curragh Wildlife Park in Balaf, and uh, them opening hours, of course, Thursday to Sunday, and then uh, the Christmas holidays, they'll be open as well for that, and don't forget that discount that you can get as well on the Thursday, because the, obviously the, the cafe isn't open on the Thursday, so you get in a, a little bit cheaper, and uh, the way Kathleen was saying there that uh, the bits and pieces of it that are helping you know the the donations with your emission fees or or your annual fees that go through and and help the preservation of these animals which which are rare some of them they really are and so endangered as well but Kathleen and the team have done a great great job there going in the last sort of five years to get bits for countryside the improvements alone in that handful of years the signage the pathways making it so much more enjoyable and accessible for everybody to get around the park they've done a great great job and the animals look so well and healthy and some of the breeding programs the success they've had is just absolute credit to all of them there it is indeed you're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, we're getting near the festive period, of course. Uh, lights are up in various uh, houses and the trees are getting put up. And you wouldn't think some of the farmers of the Isle of Man get into the Christmas spirit as well but uh, the tractor run has been a phenomenal success uh, not just for the, the camaraderie amongst it but for the charities it raises money for as well Kiri. They are so supportive of the charities the Young Farmers Movement and throughout the year they do all sorts of different events and missing the annual Young Farmers concert this year was such a blow but they're hoping that this tractor run will be this, the saviour of the year. Lots of people line the streets to see the tractors go past. I caught up with Hayley Crow and Charles Corkle to see what was afoot. So here we are tonight with Hayley Crow and Charlie Corkle. It's fast approaching Hayley, the tractor run this year. Don't. It feels like we've already been planning it for a long time. Probably nobody sees that outwardly. They think it just comes together on the night, but it's a it's a labour of love, isn't it, really, Charlie? It takes a long, a long time and a lot to organise, and there's a lot of people that are involved that we owe a huge amount of thanks to. We've got all of the local authorities. We get huge support from the Isle of Man Constabulary, well, from all the emergency services, who are all putting tractors in the parade this year. Last year we had the police wow. in. This year we've got an ambulance tractor in as well, and hopefully if they can pull it off a fire service oh, as well. Brilliant. So we've got massive amount of support from, from all, all of the island, really. And talking about that, I do believe that this coming Thursday they're down in Strand Street, the emergency tractors. 
Yeah, hopefully if uh, if they get pulled together, there'll be police tractor and well, there'll be two tractors in the street. That's the main goal, and something a little bit extra, which we're holding close to our chests at the uh, minute. But a little surprise, <laughs> a little surprise. That's it, isn't a it? A little surprise. Yeah. Oh, I see. But this year you've got a couple of routes planned, just to take in all corners of the island. Yeah, we're really mindful. The event really is a community event and we really want to make it as accessible to as many people as we can, you know, so that's why we, we're playing about with the routes, really. We've pretty much got the northern side nailed, haven't we, with a new starting point this year, but the southern route, we're just sort of working out that one. So this year we're starting in Port Erin on Friday night down at the Marine Centre. We've got the tractors all starting there, so we've got currently registered, as at tonight, 35 tractors for wow. Friday night through, through Port Erin, which is a lot to manoeuvre you know we couldn't do it without the help of the of the public really you know we're asking them to not park in certain places we're closing off roads and things like that so we, we couldn't do that without the public support and we really do appreciate that don't we brand new for this year we're going to be through Castletown Square uh, don't ask me too much about that one <laughs> just yet it's uh it's it's going to be tight and it's going to be going to be different um but yeah we're just really pleased that we can do that you know there's so many people that we want to be what that we want for them to be able to watch the parades and that is it but this is all for charity isn't it yeah this year we're raising for reach iom and the hyperbaric chamber two worthy worthy charities and the thing that we've always tried to do from the start is pick two charities but never have the same one twice so we're trying to spread it around try and spread it as best we can between different types of charities and whatever benefits the Isle of Man the best really. And over the past four years Charles you've raised a huge amount of money. Yeah we've raised just over £25,000 so this year it looks set to be just as good hopefully if we can meeting our target. It's important to say though that we haven't really got a target the first year it was it was very much it was an event for our members it was it was about us it was about the guys wanting to decorate their tractors and show them off and enjoy it for themselves um, and the first year we raised £750 and we hadn't really understood the impact that the tractors would have and how much the public would get behind us because then in year two we raised £10,000 wow. so you know from year one to year two the, the, the jump was huge but the, the um, money that we raised for charity really is just the icing on the cake it's not really what the event is about but the fact that people can find a little bit of cash in their pockets and decide to send it our way it, it really just makes it for us such a special night obviously it's all walks of life that are getting involved Haley, but is there still room for other sponsors to come on board there is, yeah. We've got different tractors that are sponsored by different individuals, but there's still plenty of opportunities. If anybody does want to sponsor a tractor, there's still plenty of time. So if you just get in touch, give me a ring, 467 279. I'll be happy to chat to anybody that wants to get involved with us. The time and effort that all of these uh, tractor drivers put into decorating their tractors, getting all the mud off them and getting the lights fastened on, it's just brilliant, isn't it? We couldn't do it without them. It's the amount of effort that goes in. I don't think people realise that some of these guys, they've got their tractors are being used right up to the last minute to go out and feed cows especially at this time of year feeding the sheep and that kind of thing and then they get them washed off start to decorate them which always takes a lot longer than what you ever anticipate because the amount of lights that you put on them is just unbelievable <laughs> you know and the, these guys then they finish work they come straight out to us so we feed them as we go around you know give them a drink and things like that and it, it couldn't happen without these guys putting the time and effort in that they do we're so appreciative every year we get some new faces but we've got some people with us that have been with us from the start for this will be their fourth year of sitting in the tractor for several hours which a lot of them are used to anyway to be honest with you it, it really is good and charlie if we don't see them out on the track we can always see them up at the grandstand this time 
Yeah, if you um, if you do miss it, we're we're finishing the grandstand. That's to give us a little bit extra space, just so we can accommodate anybody who doesn't catch it on the route. Especially Douglas, with it being difficult at the moment. So, hopefully, in the far distant future, we'll be able to have them going through the middle of Douglas. But just at the moment, it's a little <laughs> bit difficult. So, we're trying to cater for everybody on the island as best we can. So, brilliant. And where can people find out where the tractors are up to? You know, they've just finished work. How can they find out where they are and go and watch? They need to get on our Facebook page, which is Isle Man Young Farmers. Um, all the information's on there. There'll be loads of stuff happening live on the night. There's maps and things like that that are available in the run-up. Um, just there's no way that you could possibly miss it. <laughs> That was Hayley Crow and Charlie Corkle there from the Federation of Young Farmers talking about this week's tractor run. Yes, and uh, looking forward to it as well. Um, everybody, you know, the, uh, I think people are used to it now. Uh, the, the, the great that the constabulary, as they said, of, are behind it and warning everyone and putting it up on their uh, road watch on the constabulary pages where they'll be and roughly what times. It's just such a great spectacle coming through any of the villages there and especially in Kirkmichael they were saying they normally get the streets fully lined with people but to see the, the work and effort that the farmers have gone to to get the mud all cleaned off the tractor and the fairy lights up but also the various other companies that have sponsored a tractor to go around there and um, some of the office-based people loving to see their tractor with all of the their, their colours going through the villages. It's just really Really, really great. Well, we mentioned uh, wool earlier in the program, Kiri, um, talking about uh, you know why why there probably wasn't so much going on in this day and age. But some general terms just before we finish to do with with sheep. Obviously, uh, you're well versed in it with uh, your experience in the. Uh, the sheep world, the ovine world, is it? Absolutely. Yeah, and, but <laughs> another question was, you know, there's different terms on there's a tup and a ram. Uh, is there a difference? No, they're just mm. the way that different areas talk about different languages. So we'll say, oh, we're having a skeet tonight. Well, that's also our slang for have, we'll see what's going on tonight. And it's the same in different parts of the country. Some refer them as rams and some refer them to as tups. Um, we use both at home on the farm. But, uh, yeah, it just means a male sheep, an adult yeah. male sheep generally. Yeah, and, of course, the uh, the lamb is the young one. The ewe is generally the mother sheep. But you hear other terms uh, like uh, shearlings or yearlings, don't you, as well? That's right. So your you, the general sheep is usually the ewe. And as the age as she grows up, she's a lamb, and then the next year she's a shearling or a yearling, which is one years old, and then she goes into being the ewe, the stock ewe, and she could be three, four onwards, right up to some sheep live to 10, 11 years of age. So once they're after the first sort of two years, they're just classed as a ewe. Yeah, and the, the shearling thing, I think, comes in as uh, the age between the, the first time that they're sheared, is it? That's right. Yeah. So when they trans transfer over from being a lamb in the first year, when they're sheared for the first time, they become a shearling. So that's when they're taking their first beautiful first layer of uh, wool off. And um, it's just a, a great turn in the year in that May time when they're sheared for the first time. And uh, then she'll go on. The next year, she'll be a ewe. Yeah, and why do they have their tails removed in general well usually because they can't use toilet paper like we do it's just to keep the flies and the muck from collecting around the back end and uh, the flies when they um, strike they can be very very uh, troublesome and it can be fatal so we take the tail off within 24 hours of its life it's just like when we have a hair bobble around our wrist it just creates a little dent like that cuts the circulation off and within a matter of days it will drop off Oof. 
Okay, well, we'll leave it there with that thought on this week's Countryside. We're back next week for more. If you've got a question, let us know. Uh, send it on an email to countryside at manxradio.com. Don't forget the podcast on Manx Radio's website, powered by Millie Chaps of Ramsey. Hear all the interviews in full at your leisure and the previous episodes as well. We're back next week with more. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.